Good morning, church. How are you? There's a lot of fun happening in the lobby right now, so you get to miss the... Uh, I'll put the boring announcements at the front. That way it's not too painful. I should have brought the donuts in there, but I'm on a diet. I'm trying to trim down. I'd eat every donut in the box. Hey, well, I'm, uh, I'm glad to see you. A lot of new faces this morning, so I just want to welcome you. My name is Pastor Andrew. I'm the campus pastor here at this location. Uh, if you are newer with us... Uh, I just want to let you know we have a gift for you at our welcome desk, so please make sure you stop by. Uh, It it would be helpful for us if you want to uh, connect with us, learn a little bit more, uh, and I would love to connect with you. If you could fill out a connection card for us, you can find those at our welcome desk, or if you are techie, you can get your smartphone out, uh, and you can uh, take a picture of the QR code in front of you. That is, I mean, I'm a pretty young guy, and I'm talking about QR codes as though they're like some kind of wizardry that I don't know how to act. I promise you, I can use a QR code, and so can you. So uh, if you're new at please do take a, a picture of one of those. Uh, what we want to do here at the front of the service, we always like to just kind of help people know what's going on. Chats like ours, it can get very busy, uh, and sometimes it's, it's not always easy to kind of keep track of everything that's happening. So uh, I wanted to highlight a few things uh, on your bulletin, and I've left mine, so I'm going to highlight them as best I can. The first thing is it, next Saturday is going to be our second Saturday men's breakfast. That is going to be happening at 8 a.m. here at this location. I love our men's breakfast. We have a full catered breakfast for free. You don't have to pay anything. Uh, it's just a chance for you to gather with other men. We usually have somewhere around 30 guys come in. We get to hear a story of something that God's doing in the lives of men in our community. We get to get into God's Word together, learn a little bit more about it, and just have a great time of fellowship. So you can come along that. I would love for you to invite a friend. Again, it's a great time to come along. And who can say no to a free breakfast? Um, Another thing that I wanted to mention is our baptism service, which is coming up on November 12th. Uh, I say this every time we talk about this. This is one of my favorite things to do as a church, because we get to celebrate together the way that God is impacting lives. And if you don't know anything about baptism, we will be having a baptism class on October 29th. And this is open to anybody who wants to come along and learn a little bit more about what baptism is. It's about 30 minutes following our service that week. Uh, if you are thinking about getting baptized, I would love for you especially to join us so that you can learn a little bit more about what we're doing. We can help you get everything you need to get set. But if you do come to the class, it's not a commitment at all that on November 12th you're going to get dunked. Okay? I won't call you out in front of everyone on that Sunday. Uh, Again, this is just a chance for us to learn more about something that is really close to Jesus' heart. It's something that he invited everyone who calls himself a follower of Jesus, he invited them to do it. Uh, And it's a way for us to publicly celebrate together as a church family the fact that God has raised us to new life with Christ. Last thing that I wanted to highlight is uh, starting October 15th, which is next week again, uh, we're going to be having a class before service that we call Reason to Believe. It's 30 minutes, and it's just a chance to talk together about some of the reasons why we can uh, have a reasonable faith. You know, it's common that when people talk about Christianity, they talk about Jesus. It, it can sometimes seem, I think, to some of you as, uh, as a bit like a silly, silly message. It's kind of, how could we believe such things? But actually, the Christian faith is a really reasonable faith. Uh, and I would invite you to come along. If you want to learn a little bit more about why Christians believe what they believe, Uh, This is going to be a great chance for you to learn a little bit more about that. And again, it's just 30 minutes before our service starting next week. If you want to sign up for that, we've got books that we can get for you. And so you can stop by our welcome desk. Those are free. It's a gift to you if you want to come and join in on that class. Uh, So we're grateful for that. Last thing that I wanted to highlight. uh, First of all, I just wanted to say thank you to those of you who have signed up in recent weeks to support our kids ministry. Uh, I really can't say enough how valuable and important this ministry is here at our church. It's easy for us 
here in this room to forget about all of our kids back there and, and the amazing things that God is doing in their lives, especially through our volunteers who serve. Uh, it, it means a great deal to me, not only as a pastor, but as a father, to have members of my church family, my brothers and sisters, helping to invest in, encourage, and disciple my kids in the good news of who Jesus is. But I want to continue to invite you, if you are not serving there, if you haven't served there before, jump in with us, because it's a really integral ministry. And you can imagine a small church like ours, uh, a very small team of, of people back there serving faithfully, dedicated, doing amazing things, but it's easy for them, because it's a smaller team, to miss kind of consecutive weeks of church. And as a pastor who cares for all of our congregation, I want to make sure that all of our volunteers, those that are given their time, get a chance to be in service as well. So if you can serve even just once a month, you'd be surprised how much of an impact that can make on scheduling volunteers. Uh, Just once a month. You don't have to be the teacher at the front of the classroom. You just have to be willing to be present and love on kids and represent the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is to them. Uh, And so you can always stop by our welcome desk or the kids' desk to learn a little bit more about that. But again, just want to reinforce, here at Chapel Street, North Aurora, we care deeply about our kids. We believe Jesus does too. And so we want to make sure that we're investing and blessing in them and that what happens at that side of the building is just as good as what happens this side of the building. Hey, well, to start worship today, I want to do something a little bit different. I want to invite you to stand with me. Uh, Today, we have a guest preacher who's going to be coming in, uh, a guy called Blake Lawson. He's a pastoral resident here at the church. I really think that Blake is phenomenal, so I can't wait to hear what uh, he brings us from the Lord's Word this morning. But I wanted to invite us to prepare our hearts for coming to the Lord's uh, Word by just reading through the passage that we'll be looking at today from James. Uh, It's easy to kind of rush through the church service, but when we come to God's Word, we are coming to what Paul calls the living and active Word of God. And it cuts us to the very center of who we are, that it speaks life to us. And so I want to prepare as we begin to sing these songs that declare the goodness of Jesus and the greatness of Jesus, I want to remind us of what he says to us in his word. So if you will, let's read this together. I'll read this to you, and then we'll worship together. James 1, 19 through 27 says this. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is God's word to us.
Well, I mentioned today we have a, a guest speaker, Blake. Uh, Blake, if you want to head up here. I, uh, before we get started, I just want to explain to you who Blake is. So at Chapel Street, we have a pastoral residency program. Uh, it's actually a program I started in, but it's way nicer now. So I, I'm actually a little jealous of Blake for what he gets to go through. Uh, but Blake has been a tremendous blessing to our church in the short time he's been with us. How, how long has it been since you started the residency? About seven months. I think. Se- seven months, okay. So, uh, but I, I'm really excited for him to share with us this morning. Uh, I got to hear Blake speak for the first time uh, in person a few weeks ago, actually, when we were going through our Proverbs series. Uh, and I, what Blake shared was just phenomenal. And so I'm, I'm really excited together. And I just wanted to pray for my brother as he shares with us this morning. Uh, so would you just pray with me for uh, Blake as we begin to go into God's word? Father, I thank you that when we come to your word, we are coming to something that is steady. Lord, that speaks life to us. And God, I thank you for my brother who brings your word to us today. God, I pray that your spirit would be with him. And that today as we listen to, to Blake, Lord, we wouldn't hear his words, we'd hear yours. Father, that we would know that you have good things for us, uh, and Lord, that you invite us to come and know you better through your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Good morning. (laughs) Wonderful to be with you all this morning. That was um, one of the most beautiful antiphonies I have ever heard. Is that the word? Antiphony? Nice, yes, that was so neat. Um, if you would, please open your Bibles to James chapter 1. Uh, James 1, we will be looking at the end of the chapter today, so verses 19 through 27. And as you are turning there uh, to James 1, I'll tell a quick story. I uh, once sat down with a counselor as I was wrestling through a big life decision. And I think he could tell that I was feeling a little bit discouraged by the fact that I was wrestling so much, that I didn't seem to have this just divine wisdom on what to do. And so he stopped and paused and then asked me a very odd question, something that I did not anticipate. He said, do you know what the word Israel means according to the Old Testament? And I, for a second, I was like tempted to say something like, you know, I I don't have time for your little theology quiz, like I'm wrestling right now. (laughs) But I went along with it, so I was like, like, no, I I don't seem to recall what the word Israel means. And so he said, according to Genesis 32, the word Israel, which is God's name for God's people, the word Israel means, does anyone remember what it means? Yes, that's right, that's right. One who wrestles with God. The word, the name Israel means one who wrestles with God. Another translation says one who struggles with God. Now think about this for a moment. How odd is this? God could have chose to name his people anything. He could have named them my favorite ones. (laughs) Or he could have named them those who will feel happy and at peace at all times. (laughs) But he didn't. For some reason, God chose to name his people those who wrestle with God. Now, this ought to be encouraging to us for at least two reasons. Number one, it is a reminder that in all of our wrestling and struggles, we never wrestle alone. We wrestle with God. Isaiah 63 verse 9 says that in all of Israel's suffering, God suffered. This means that in all of our struggles and all of our wrestles and all of our suffering, With us is 
a savior who knows us fully, who knows our struggling completely, and he loves us fully. He's walking with us through our suffering. So it's encouraging that it, it means that we never wrestle alone, we never suffer alone, but it's also encouraging because this name, it, it means that if you are wrestling with God in this season of your life, so whether that's through because of a relational difficulty or uh, a big life decision that you have, or maybe a, a medical complication, or even just this ongoing battle with sin. If you are wrestling with God in this season of your life, this name of Israel is a reminder that that might not be an indication that you are doing something wrong or that there is something wrong with your faith. In fact, the very fact that you are bringing your struggles to God is an indication of faith. Without faith, we wrestle only with our circumstances, which often drives us away from God. But through faith, we wrestle with God himself, and God intends actually to use that wrestling mercifully to bless us and to draw us closer to him, and that's exactly what we are going to see in our text for today in James 1. So if you remember, how many of you were here last week by chance? Okay, most of you. So uh, if you remember in verses 1 through 18, we could describe that chunk, that passage in two words, trials and temptations. Trials and temptations. So that was last week. Today, in verses 19 through 27, James shows us how we can respond to trials and temptations in a way that leads to blessing and nearness to Christ. So would you, would you join me now in, in prayer? Uh, let me pray for God's blessing on this text even now, and then we'll dive into this. Lord, Oh, Lord, thank you for this chance we have to be here today and to worship you and to study your word. What a privilege that is. Lord, please use your word today to increase our appreciation and even our affection for Christ and also to deepen our resolve to respond in obedience to him. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. How can we respond to trials and temptations in a way that leads to blessing and nearness with Christ? According to James 1, verses 19 through 27, we must be, and this is up on the screen, we must be quick to hear God's word. We must be faithful to do God's word, and we must be humble to receive God's word. So let's consider these one at a time, beginning with be quick to hear God's word. And we see this in verses 19 through 20. So if you would follow along as I read. James, through the Holy Spirit, says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Now that word brothers or brethren, it seems to be an inclusive term for the family or the people of God. So you could read this as, Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let each of you, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. For those of you who know me and uh, see many, um, some familiar faces here, uh, you'll know that I love, I love the topic of listening. I believe that listening to one another, like truly listening to one another, is one of the rarest and most powerful ways to communicate the love of Christ. Uh, one of my all-time favorite quotes is by David Augsburger, who says, uh, to be heard, to be heard is so close to being loved, that most people cannot tell the difference. This means that if you are intentional today to listen to someone in your life, to truly look them in the eye, to ask good questions, 
to stay actively engaged with what they have to say. If you are intentional to listen well, you will communicate the love of Christ in a uniquely powerful way, in a way that is so incredibly rare today. But listening well, it's not only one of the most powerful ways to love someone, it's actually also, perhaps surprisingly, one of the most powerful ways to influence those around us. Now, this might seem counterintuitive at first. Many friends and pastors and teachers and parents and grandparents, many of us believe that the best way we can influence those around us is to talk, to share our best words of wisdom or to offer advice or to maybe share some um, knowledge that we have. Most of the time, at least at first, that's not the case. as uh, the, uh, it's like an old proverb or something puts it, um, it's, it's, like a, it's like a saying, right? I don't know what it's called, proverb, a saying. Um, but it says, um, uh, people do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. We, we earn the right to speak into the lives of others by first listening well. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it, he said, um, we must hear with the, with the ears of God so that we can speak the words of God. If you want to have an influence on, on those around you, on your kids, your grandkids, or other people in your life, it will always begin by first listening well, by truly seeking to understand. Now, as much as I would love, I would love to spend the next 15 or 20 minutes just talking about the power of listening to one another and how important that is and how beautifully that demonstrates the love of our listening Savior and our God who literally wrote prayer into creation where he just listens to us all the time. As much as I would love to just talk about that for 20 minutes or so, um, I believe that James's primary emphasis in this verse, in James 1.19, is actually on us being quick to hear God's word. There are four times in this passage that James mentions the word hearing, and in every other instance, he connects it explicitly to hearing God's word. So here it is. It seems like what James is saying in this passage is that if you are experiencing a trial or a temptation in your life, be the kind of person who is slow to speak your own interpretation of your life circumstances. Be the kind of person who is slow to get angry, lash out in anger toward God as if somehow you can see above all things and as if you know the eternal outcome of this hardship. Instead, be quick to hear God's word, his hope-giving, life-giving word. Be quick to hear that because that word reminds us of who God is, who we are, what Christ has done for us, and what his plan is for us our future. In our suffering, we will be tempted to listen to different voices and assume that that is the voice of God. Recently, I um, walked up to a handful of people and asked them a question that they probably thought was kind of weird at first, but that's, I guess that's what a pastoral resident does. Um, So (laughs) I, I said, hey, in your suffering, what are some voices that you hear? And you're tempted to believe that that's the voice of God. And so I collected some of these responses, and I took a little sampling, and I'm going to read through some of these uh, right now. And, and you ask yourself if you can relate to any of these. Um, one person said, when I am suffering, one of the first voices I hear is, you deserve this. God is getting back at you for your sin. These are real people. Another person said, uh, when I am suffering, one of the first voices I hear, which I'm tempted to believe is God's voice when I'm suffering, is a voice that says, you know, 
this will be good for your character. <laughs> kind of like a callous father who cares about our behavior but doesn't care about our pain. No sympathy, no tenderness. It's all about just kind of crowbarring us into shape. Another person said, when I am suffering, I hear a voice that says, God's purposes for you are finished. This suffering is validation that God is done using you. Finally, another person said, when I am suffering, I hear a voice that says, God doesn't love you. If he loved you, why would he allow you to suffer like this? Can you relate to any of these voices from time to time in your life? One of the primary reasons why we must be quick to hear God's word, especially in the midst of suffering, is that God's word rejects and corrects misconceptions that we are tempted to believe about God's heart toward us. Let me just say that again. One of the primary reasons why we must be quick to hear God's word, especially in our suffering, is because God's word rejects and corrects misconceptions that we naturally, as sinners, tend to have about God's heart toward us. But God's word doesn't only show us God's true heart for us. It also, God's word reveals to us our true hearts. And that's exactly what we're going to see in the next few verses, which describe God's word actually as a mirror. So, uh, Real quick, why, how can we respond to trials and temptations in a way that leads to blessing and nearness to Christ? First, we must be quick to hear God's word. Second, now we must be faithful to do God's word, and we see that in verses 22 through 27. And we'll come back to verse 21, by the way, so don't worry about that. So verses 22 through 27, it's kind of a longer chunk reading here, um, so just uh, get comfortable, and um, <laughs> we'll go through this now. So verses 22 through 27 of James 1, wonderful little section of scripture here. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. Okay, so here's this mirror imagery. Now notice, what does this man see in the mirror? Uh, Verse 24, when he reads God's word, what does he see? For he looks at himself. When he hears God's word, he sees himself, and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. God's word shows us who we truly are. It shows us ourselves. Verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, what an interesting little phrase, the law of liberty, the law of freedom. How do those two things go together? Really interesting phrase there. We'll come back to that. Uh, He looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. So James says here, God's word, it's like a mirror. It shows you who you truly are. And then he says, if you live in light of who God's word reveals you to be, it will set you free. Verse 25 says, it is the law of liberty or freedom. And it says, if you keep this law, you will be blessed blessing is promised to those who keep God's word. And we'll come back to that promise in a moment. Let's look at verse 26. It says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So James here gives a pretty staunch warning to those who are 
hypocritical and prideful. Those who would say, you know, I think I'm pretty religious. <laughs> but they don't actually live it out. They don't love God and love others. He warns those people here. He says, that's not true religion. That's not, that's not the life that God has presented in his word. How many of you have ever owned um, a pet fish before? <laughs> okay, good. Uh, I'll, I'll tell a quick story that I didn't intend on sharing at first, but I'll just share it anyways, is that my mom, um, my mom growing up, my mom never uh, let us own a, a fish because apparently when she was a child, um, she had a, a fish, a pet fish, and it didn't have a good like, ending to that story. And so she, when we were children, she was like, no fish. Um, and I don't really like mind that very much because it seems like whenever I talk to a friend or someone who's ever owned a pet fish, like it never seems to like be a good story that like ends well or something. Like they're never like, uh, yeah, so you know, we wanted to get a fish and so we went to PetSmart and we picked up the fish and you know, it comes in that little bag thing. And so then we started driving home and we gave it to our five-year-old sister who was holding the, the bag in the back. And what was great is that she never shook the bag. She just held it really nice and steady. And then we got home and we put it in the fish tank. And what was great is that the fish never got out of the fish tank. And the other cool thing is that we always fed it just enough but never too much, you know? And, uh, and the cool thing too is that the other fish in that fish tank, no one ever came and ate the fish. And so that fish actually just lived a super long, happy life and all of us lived happily ever after. Like that's never the story I hear when someone who's talking about their pet, pet fish. You know, it seems to always be a bad ending. But I heard an analogy of a fish uh, recently that, um, that I thought would be appropriate here uh, for, this, um, for this text. Imagine a little fishy was born. And so the fish says to God, what am I? And God says, you are a fish. And the fish says, wow, I'm a fish. <laughs> and God says, yep. <laughs> Wouldn't that be weird if that was the end of the analogy? <laughs> so, so the fish swims around for a minute, and then he turns back to God, and he says, well, how should I live? And, and God says, or, or, how should I live? You know? and, um, <laughs> and, uh, and God says to the fish, oh, you, you're free. You're free to live however and wherever you want. You know, enjoy life. But make sure you don't go outside of the water. <laughs> but imagine if that fish turned to God and shook his little fin at God and said, you can't tell me how to live. I want freedom. I am going to live outside of the water. Would that fish thrive? <laughs> I think most of us who have had a pet fish before probably say, I know from personal experience that fish would not thrive. And that is because a fish is most free, most liberated, most blessed when it lives within the laws and boundaries for which God created it. And that is exactly what James 1 says is true of us. It says God's word. Here it is. It's a mirror. Through it, God tells you who you are and what you are. And then it says that God's word also tells you how to live. And it says if you live within these laws, you will be liberated and blessed. Freedom and blessing. That's what is promised to those who are faithful to do God's word. Now, rightfully so, you might be asking the question right now, a question that I asked when I read this text. And it is that, well, you know, I've, I've tried to keep God's word. You know, I'm not, I'm not perfect, but I really try to, to keep his word. But I'm still experiencing difficulty in my life right now. 
I'm still experiencing trials and temptations. So where is this blessing that James 1.25 promises us? Where's the blessing? And it's a good question. There are, uh, there are two common ditches that we often fall into when it comes to understanding the relationship between God's blessing and our hardship. How do we put those two things together? God's blessing, our hardships, how do those things go together? There are two common ditches that we often fall into when trying to grapple with that question. The first ditch, probably the most common ditch, is, is the assumption that if I am experiencing hardship in my life, it must mean that God has not blessed me or that he has actually removed his blessing from me. You know, in moments of suffering, we can be tempted to think God is no longer favorable toward me. It must have been because of that thing that I did, and now he's just removed his blessing from me. So the first ditch we can fall into is, is the thought that if I'm experiencing hardship, it must mean God has removed his blessing from me. The other ditch that we can fall into is actually kind of the far opposite extreme, which almost can communicate that we should celebrate blessing because suffering is God's blessing. Now, this ditch is more common, perhaps in legalistic circles, that in, misinterpret James 1 verse 2. Do you guys remember that verse from last week? It's a common scripture memory verse. It says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of various kinds. So someone in, these, in this camp, this legalistic camp, might say, hey, are you suffering right now? Are, just a question, are you grieving in your suffering? Are you confused about what God might be up to right now? Well, you must be sinning then. <laughs> because uh, remember, consider it pure joy when you face trials. Be happy. What's like, you're not happy? You're confused? You're, you're grieving? The first ditch says suffering cannot be a blessing. The second ditch says it is only a blessing. The first ditch only grieves in suffering. The second ditch forbids grief. The Bible, meanwhile, refuses to paint broad brushstrokes or slap cliches on the relationship between our suffering and God's blessing. Scripture is far more nuanced. It affirms the fruit that God mercifully, lovingly brings through suffering without celebrating suffering itself. As Pastor Brian helpfully pointed out last week at, um, at Kesslinger, he said, suffering itself is not a good thing. But God, praise the Lord, in his infinite wisdom, power, and love, often uses suffering and will use suffering to bring blessing to his people, especially, especially to draw us closer to himself and to bear beautiful fruit in us and through us. And James 1.25 says, these blessings will come through doing God's word. They may say, well, what, what does that look like? What does it look like to do God's word? Well, James uh, 1, verses 26 through 27, he gives us three examples of what it looks like to do God's word. Now, I'm going to read through these examples, but um, John Dixon, really helpfully in our pastoral meeting, he said that James 1 is oftentimes like a table of contents for things that he's going to explain in much more detail in future chapters. And so that's what we're going to see in verses 26 through 27. He gives three examples that we're going to talk about much more in future weeks. Those three examples of what it looks like to do God's word is bridle your tongue, care for the vulnerable, so that's orphans and widows, and, and pursue purity, so keep yourself unstained from the world. Now, he's, again, he's going to talk about these things much deeper in future chapters. So James 3 talks all about bridling your tongue. So if you're like, that's me, I want to learn about how can I do a better job bridling my tongue. 
read James 3. Next week uh, in James 2, he's going to talk about caring for the vulnerable, so orphans and widows, not showing partiality. And then James 3 and 4, he talks about pursuing purity of heart and battling sinful desires within us. But the point for now, and for this point, and for this uh, particular text, is James is saying here, let God's word direct you in how you use your tongue, so that's your words, how you use your hands in service, and how you use your heart in purity. So your tongue, your hands, your heart. James says, if you allow God's word to inform and direct you in how you use these things, you will be liberated and blessed in your doing, and you will also bring blessing to others. So how can we respond to trials and temptations in a way that brings blessing and nearness to Christ? According to James 1, 19 through 27, we must be quick to hear God's word. We must be faithful to do God's word. Third and finally now, we must uh, be humble to receive God's word. I almost forgot my own third point there. Um, Humble to receive God's word. Verse 21. Um, Notice what he says. He says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive, receive with meekness or humility the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So we just saw in verse uh, 25 that doing God's word leads to blessing. But now notice what James says here. He says, receiving God's word is what leads to salvation. Doing God's word leads to blessing. Receiving God's word is what leads to salvation. Uh, I love how Tim Keller put it. He said, salvation is ultimately received, not achieved. And he gives this, this helpful little analogy that I thought I would share with you. He said, imagine a baseball team. He said, a, a father coaches the team. Any of you coaches in here of like baseball teams? Any of you play baseball? Okay, this is going to hit well with like all of us then, yeah. <laughs> um, He said, imagine a baseball team. A father coaches the team, and up to bat is his son. We'll call his son Jack, who the father loves dearly. Jack and his dad, they spent a lot of time together, and Jack's dad, he taught him how to catch, how to throw, how to swing the bat, how to run the bases. Jack's dad is a good dad and a good coach, and he loves Jack. After all that training now, imagine it is game time. So Jack is up to bat. And uh, Keller says, Jack's dad, he sits in the dugout a little bit nervous, eager with anticipation. What is, what is my son going to do? Jack's dad, he loves Jack fully and completely, and he's just excited to see him play. Now, if Jack forgets his father's coaching and he strikes out, that will not change his dad's love for him or approval of him one bit. They're still going out for ice cream after the game because his dad loves his son, not his performance, just his son. And Jack knows my dad's love is not connected to my ability to hit a home run, but while he's up to bat, he still wants to hit a home run, not to earn his dad's love, but because he is loved, and he just wants to see the pleased look on his dad's face. Keller says if Jack didn't know that his dad loved him, his efforts would be to try to win that love by his performance. But because Jack knows that his father already loves him, his efforts are simply to please his father. And that's what's being communicated here in, in James 1. In all of our pursuits of doing God's word, none of it is to try to earn God's salvation or love. If you look back at the first few words of verse 19, remember this. He says, know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. James is saying, don't do God's word in order to be loved. He said, let God's love, which you can receive and enjoy daily through his word, let that drive you into doing. Uh, any of you by chance know um, the name Dane Ortland? Okay, great. So he, 
he, um, he's the pastor at, uh, he's not a baseball player. Um, he, he, he is the pastor at uh, Naperville, Presbyterian, uh, Naperville Presbyterian Church. And he wrote, he's an author of this book called Gentle and Lowly. Man, one of my all-time favorite books. So if you ever, if you're looking for a new book to read, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Orland, it is such a balm for one's soul. I feel like I sounded like an old person even saying that. Balm for one's soul. But anyways, um, he has this quote that was really helpful that I, I'm, I'm going to put on the screen here of, of this very idea. Um, he says, the love of God is not something to see once and to believe, like you might say at conversion, and then move beyond to other truths or strategies for growing in Christ, or you might say doing God's word. The love of God, rather, is what we feed on our whole lives long, wading ever more deeply into this endless ocean. And it is that feeding, that wading into God's love, that is itself what fosters growth. We grow in Christ no further than we enjoy his embrace of us. The ultimate reason why we pursue and cherish God's word, the ultimate reason why we want to be quick to hear God's word faithful to do God's word, humble to receive God's word, is because God's word brings us to the person of Christ, who is our only hope in suffering, and it helps us enjoy his loving and saving embrace of us. One of uh, the, the best pictures, I believe, of Christ's heart for us in our suffering How does Christ feel toward us in our suffering? One of the best pictures of this, I believe, comes from um, Daniel 3 and the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, I I have trouble reading that story at times uh, without thinking about Rack, Shack, and the Benny and uh, and the uh, chocolate bunny, you know, from VeggieTales. You guys remember that song? It's like, the bunny, the bunny, oh, I love the bunny. (laughs) So, I'm just going to say up front, I have trouble thinking about this story without thinking about that, so let me just, we can set that aside right after I've now planted it in your brain, but um, <laughs> Daniel 3, I believe, is one of the, mo- the most beautiful pictures of Christ's heart for us in our suffering. So if you remember the story, these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refused to bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar's golden statue, so he's like, I'm going to throw you in the fire, which is like a totally not mature way to respond to them not bowing down to your statue, and so... Um, they get thrown into this blazing furnace and God miraculously saves these men uh, from the furnace. But how, how God saves these men, I think is curious and actually super comforting. Daniel 3 says that as these men were in the fire, a fourth man, is what, what it's called, a fourth man appeared walking in the midst of the fire with them. And King Nebuchadnezzar, he looks through the furnace and and he says, who is that? I see a fourth man. And he says, that fourth one, he he looks like one of the sons of the gods. And and commentators often ask, who was this fourth man that was in the midst of the fire with them? And Keller and many other commentators say, this was none other than a pre-incarnate Christ. This was Christ in the fire with them. Now think about this. How strange is this? Christ could have easily appeared, if you picture this blazing furnace, he could have easily appeared outside of the furnace, safely and comfortably removed from the flames and called out, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come on out of there. And that would have certainly showcased his power and his authority. But instead, Christ joined his people in the fire, preferring 
to endure the heat with them before saving them. And this is exactly what Jesus did for us. Our Savior refused to sit back in heaven and watch us suffer alone. He refused to remain at a safe distance from the flames of our affliction. Christ became man in part to identify and suffer and walk with his people through their fire of affliction um, before saving us, forever uniting himself to us intimately. We talked about at the very beginning of the sermon how uh, one of the names of Israel reminds us that we are, we're never alone in our suffering When Jesus says to us in our suffering, I am with you, he says it as one who knows the pain of suffering. He understands our weaknesses, our fears, and our struggles. He has felt the heat of the fire himself. And of course, those flames were hottest on the cross where Jesus was scorched for us so that we through faith would never have to walk through the fire of affliction alone. Now here's what I want to point out. The Bible So imagine, imagine this world as a globe. Imagine this globe being the furnace of our affliction. The Bible is not Jesus in heaven kind of reaching out over the furnace and dropping down this letter of his words to us as we're burning in the furnace and and saying, hey, do those things. Good luck down there. (laughs) The Bible is not, as Dane Ortland put it, wonderful book. It's not uh, a pep talk lobbed down from God's throne. Scripture, the words of Scripture are the very words of Christ spoken to us as a close friend who is currently walking with us through the fire of affliction. One day, praise the Lord, Jesus will return to extinguish the fire of our affliction forever. But until that day, we must cling to God's word, to the words of Christ, which reminds us that we have a Savior who loves us, who is for us, who knows us perfectly, and who will one day rescue us from all of our suffering and all of our sin. I'll read uh, one verse in closing here. Isaiah uh, 43, verses 2 through 5 says, When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, and the flame will not burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, and your Savior, Do not fear, for I am with you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the precious gift of your word. We thank you that we do not need to walk through this life alone, wondering what your will is for us, wondering what your heart is toward us, wondering who we are and what our our struggle is in this world. Lord, you communicate those things clearly to us through your word. So help us to be people who cherish your word, who love your word, who hunger and thirst for your word, and then who, who are faithful to live in it, to hear it, and then to do it, and also to ongoingly receive the gospel and to receive your love through your word. Lord, I pray for these people here today. Lord, I, I would be ignorant to think that there is not a lot of significant suffering happening, even in this room. Oh, Lord, I pray for those who are experiencing profound suffering, suffering I, I can't even imagine, Lord, I pray that you would communicate your nearness to them. Lord, as they walk through the fire of their affliction, Lord, I pray that you, Jesus, would make yourself known to them, remind them of your presence, your love, and all of the benefits of your redemption, which you purchased for us on the cross through your blood. So, Lord, we commit uh, this day and our lives to you. In Christ's name, amen. amen. I want to thank you for joining us for worship. I want to thank you, Blake, for leading us in God's truth. That is a, yeah.
You know, us pastors and preachers will tell you, when we read this, it speaks as much to us as it does to anybody else. We're not up here trying to be teachers of something that we've got down. We're here celebrating this. And so I join with you together as my church family, as my brothers and sisters. Praise God that we've got one who will walk through the fire with us. Praise God. And so if there's any way that we can walk together through that with him, I want to let you know if you need prayer, if you need support, you need encouragement, that's what we're here to do. We're not here to just be a gathering of people who come and hear a message and walk away, but to be people who walk through life together. Uh, We love you, we care for you. Just as a reminder again, if you're new, we'd love to connect with you. We'd love to uh, stop by the welcome desk, pick up your gift. Uh, A few reminders, we do have the men's breakfast next Saturday, uh, and then we have a few other things coming up, so make sure you take that bulletin with you. Uh, But for now, let me leave you with this morning's benediction. May we go in the name of the one who is in the fire with us, who walks with us in our affliction who of his own will brought us forth by the word of his truth that we should be kind of the first fruits of his creatures. May Christ make doers of us all. In his name we go, amen. Amen. With a million stars Yet still he holds